When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Learning Unlocked podcast, presented by Open Sesame. Taking a deep dive into the global world of learning and development with practical tips and tricks, along with insights from leading brands and the people that make them work. This is Learning Unlocked. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. My guest is Ryan Tillman. He is the founder of Breaking Barriers United. You can find more about him at Breaking Barriers United. Com. Brian, thanks so much for joining me on the Learning Unlocked podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me on today. It's a true pleasure. So I want to tell our audience, I was in Arizona recently and I saw Ryan speak for about an hour to the folks at Open Sesame, the e-learning company that produces this podcast. And Ryan, you're a great public speaker. I love your story. But can you start off with our audience and tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing with Breaking Barriers United. I know you work in law enforcement now. Um, I know when you were growing up, you know, you in law enforcement, there wasn't always that trust that was there and you're helping rebuild that trust with your job today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a little bit about me. I grew up here in Southern California and uh, went to a high school called Rialto High School. And uh, after I got done uh, out of high school, after I graduated, I went on to college at University of Battle Las Vegas and had the opportunity to play college football there. Uh, it was in college where I got to meet my beautiful bride, uh, Kimberly. And uh, once I you know, finished my playing college football and everything, I moved back home and my wife and I got married. And so that was around 2012, 2013-ish. And uh, around the time, I think I was just working, I was working side jobs, like doing insurance. I was working, uh, uh, working at Abercrombie & Fitch. And so I wasn't really doing, you know, what I thought was going to be my career at the time. And it's kind of funny because if you look back, my goals and aspirations were to run a business. And so, you know, I was chasing this goal to run a business. And I kept coming up short. And so my dad's best friend at the time was like, hey, Ryan, you should be a police officer. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm definitely not about to do that. I was like, I'm not about to work for the man, I'm not about to be a pig. Uh, those were my, that was my mentality at the time, just because I had some bad interactions growing up with police officers. And so did some of my fin- or friends and family. And so uh, after after praying about it, I prayed to God. I said, hey, God, tell me what you want me to do. Show me what your will is. And so uh, he revealed to me that, hey, go into law enforcement. And so I kind of argued with that for a while. I was like, no, I don't know if this is it. I don't know if this is it. So I said, if this is your will, show me the way. If not, close the door. And the doors just kind of flew off of it from there. So I started out on my journey. I got hired by the Chino Police Department in 2014. They sent me to the police academy where I got to, uh, you know, have a lot of fun, learn what it was like to be a police officer. And I ended up graduating number two overall in my class. Uh, from there, I went back to Chino, uh, started the field training program, and I, that lasted about six months. And it was kind of weird because even while doing all that stuff, even while doing well, I still felt torn about being a police officer. I felt like this wasn't what I wanted to do. I felt like every time I pulled people over, I felt like I was messing with them. And so I just wasn't, it it wasn't in my heart that this is where I needed to be. And it was right around that time that uh, uh, in Ferguson, that's when Ferguson went up in flames. 
uh, because Michael Brown was killed. And I remember feeling bad about being a police officer. So I had a conversation with my mom at the time. And my mom was saying, like, you know what, Pumpkin, after she calls him Pumpkin, she's like, hey, you know what? <laughs> after thinking about that situation and putting yourself in the shoes of that officer, I came to the conclusion that if you're in a similar situation, that you probably would have did the same thing. And that's kind of when this light bulb went off into my head where I realized like, the only reason my mom is thinking this way is because her pumpkin now has a badge and a gun. And that's when I realized that a lot of times people don't really associate police officers with being human beings. They associate us with just being in a profession. Hmm. So I set out on a mission to go out there and humanize law enforcement. But at the same time, uh, my mission was to go out there and educate people on what we do, how we do it, and why we do it, because I realized that uh, a lot of people are misinformed about our profession. But the, the the great thing about this all was that because I was in the profession, I also got to see the flaws of the profession. I got to see the needs and areas of improvements for our profession. And so part of my mission was also improving law enforcement from the inside out. And so I've set on a mission also to uh, train police officers on an assortment of different topics, uh, recruit the best officers for the next generation. And ultimately, at the end of the day, my goal is to change the face of modern day policing. That's a big goal. If anyone can do it, after what I saw from you know, hearing you speak the other day, it, it's you. I, I do believe that, you know, we're called to do certain things and you certainly seem to have found your calling. But, you know, Ryan, this is a challenge to change the perceptions of the police. And how specifically are you trying to do this? Yeah, you're right. It is an extreme challenge. And the reason it's a challenge is because for so long, we've been ingrained to view law enforcement a certain way. Whether you're on the left side or the right side of the fence, we've all been ingrained to view law enforcement a certain type of way. So when it comes to perception, you know, what I've been trying to do is try to get people to know Ryan for Ryan as opposed to uh, Officer Ryan. Um, you need to get to know me for who I am first before I can even tell you about anything that I do. And the reason I found that works is because when people understand who I am, uh, what I love to do, some of my likes and dislikes and interests, it's a lot more it's a lot easier for people to uh, want to garner a relationship with me. And then once that happens and they find out I am a police officer now, the things that I tell them is a lot more credible. It's a lot more reputable because they believe it coming from the source. So what I've done is I've set out on a mission to go out there and, and humanize law enforcement. I've encouraged police officers to be more human because for far too long, you know, a lot of times you see police officers as robots and they just, you know, act in a robotic way. So my message to them was like, hey, you got to be able to be yourself. Don't don't always come to people from your your position, your status. Uh, come to them as who you are, uh, what you're raised to be. Because once you get people to gain that trust, then they'll be more willing to hear what you have to say with uh, with whatever incident they, that they're talking about. How has the reception been to your fellow police officers when you say, look, we're trying to humanize and modernize policing? Have they said, hey, great idea, I'm on board, or are they like, nah, I'm not really down with that? <laughs> so initially when I first started, I think there was a lot more reluctancy about, uh, amongst uh, members in the profession just simply because uh, I don't think they knew where my heart was at. And at the time, if, if I look back and if I'm honest with myself, you know, I realized that a lot of it was people were trying to think like, hey, this guy needs to learn his day job before he can learn anything else. And so I actually completely understand why they felt the way they did when I first started, because I actually started this mission when I was about, you know, a, one, a year on. So less than a year, I was a rookie when I was doing this. So you imagine me working in any job, you got this new guy that comes in and wants to change the place. There's going to be a lot of people that look at the new guy because they're like, you don't even know how to do your job first. So that's kind of what I was uh, met with. But I've been on this journey and on this mission since 2014. 
And now that I've been able to establish a, a, a reputation for myself from speaking in schools to uh, speaking in colleges, speaking to police officers, um, you know, doing after school programs, you name it, I've done so much. I think people saw that my intent was truly to change the profession as opposed to my intent to promote or my intent to suck up to one of my bosses because I wanted to make this next assignment. So um, I think now I've had so much more support from members of the law enforcement community because they know my heart and, and, and my heart has always been the same from the very beginning. But, you know, there's a there's a uh, comes a place in time where you have to earn your stripes, essentially. And I feel like I've earned my stripes to gain that trust amongst the members of my profession. More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion continues to be a top priority for businesses everywhere. Open Sesame has created a survey that will give you insight into where your organization stands on diversity. Aside from being educational, this survey is a powerful tool to help you understand areas of improvement and spark conversations about strategies for creating a more inclusive and equitable workplace. After you take the short survey, you'll get access to Open Sesame's DEI Toolkit, an online hub where you can find additional resources. Visit opensesame.com today to start your survey. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. One of the things you talked about when you started Breaking Barriers United is how local it was. But now because of companies like Open Sesame, you can bring your learnings to people anywhere in the world. One of the things that you're going to be working with people on is de-escalation tactics. So I don't care if you're a police officer or you're trying to de-escalate with your kid who's not getting their way at home. <laughs> like, What are some good de-escalation tactics that you can give our audience? Man, that's a great question. And you're right. You know, when I first started BBU, um, it was very localized. And it wasn't until I start getting on social media and start spreading my message that people start listening into it. And in doing so, um, through Open Sesame, I've actually been able to start uh, starting to accomplish what my next goal was, which is to train law enforcement officers worldwide. And by doing that, I've been able to teach certain topics like de-escalation, which is a favorite of mine, just simply because there is a need for de-escalation in law enforcement. And, and so one of the ways that I've always de-escalated situations or hostile incidents is by first listening. I mean, one of the things that we do as human beings is we fail to listen. I mean, you can look at any relationship you have in your life, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with your kids. Usually when you argue with people, it's because you're not listening to what they're saying. You're more so creating your response to what you want to say in return. And what we really have to do is we have to first listen to what the need is. And once you see what the need is, the next thing we should do is start empathizing with people. Um, you know, we're not going to walk the shoes of every person that we come across, but what we can do is at least try to understand why they feel the way they feel. Once you do those two things, then now the, the road is easy from there. And the last thing I like to tell people is treat people like you're your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your cousin, because when you look through the lens of that, it makes it a lot easier to assist people. Now, one of the things I encourage police officers specifically when it comes to de-escalation is don't forget you still have a job to do and don't forget your job is dangerous because what we're also starting to see in law enforcement is people that are just trying to de-escalate, trying to de-escalate, 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 and they forget that somebody is actually trying to hurt them. So they have to learn where to draw that line. And, you know, I've been de-escalating for a while, but now I actually have to use force to use my hands or whatever to control somebody. And that's what's getting a lot of officers hurt. So the, the, the great thing about, you know, being able to train them with Open Sesame and send these horses out is because I've walked in the shoes of so many different officers, I can tell you all day long when and how to de-escalate and how long you should de-escalate. But I, said, I can also tell you when to draw that line and when you actually have to be the police officer. 
Yeah, and that's got to be so hard, especially when it could be a life or death situation like the one you're in as a police officer where you want to give someone every ability to, you know, have the benefit of the doubt and do the right thing and do it peacefully. But if there's a threat, then you've got to protect yourself and and draw the line. So how do you decide like where to draw that line? I know it's case by case, but that's got to be a real, I mean, you talk about a pressure pack situation (laughs) that you're faced with most every day. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I want to, I actually just had this conversation with somebody yesterday and you know, I truly believe that we go through life situations and incidents for a reason. Um, I got to play college football at almost the highest level, so it was college. And uh, my position was a defensive back. And while playing as a defensive back, you learn that um, you learn to read uh, key indicators that tells you what the receiver is going to do. So as a defensive back, every time you're out there on the island, we call it the island because you're out there by yourself. The only person that knows what they want to do is a receiver and the quarterback. As a defensive back, you have no clue where they want to go. And so how do you stop somebody from catching the ball or understanding where they want to route, which way they're going to go without knowing what they're going to do? And so they teach you to, to pick up on indicators, to pick up on keys. So they teach us to read the eyes, read the hands, read the hips. And, and once you start picking up on those keys, if, you know, for example, if the ball is in the air, you see the receiver's hands and eyes, the hands will kind of flex out a little bit. The eyes will get wide and the mouth will open. And that tells me the ball is coming. So I take, you know, analogies like that or, and learning like that and I apply it to my day job. And what I tell new police officers is you have to read for key indicators that's telling you that somebody wants to do something other than de-escalate. For example, if somebody wants to run or fight me, what I look for is somebody that's, you know, looking around. They're looking at their surroundings. They're getting fidgety. They're tapping their legs really quickly. They're sweating. These are all indicators based on my training and experience that's telling me this person is not ready to talk. He's looking to either fight or flight. And so that's kind of some of the things that I bring into these learning courses is teaching people what to look for when you're de-escalating, but also knowing how to transition when that moment in time comes that you might have to use force. So from where I come from, 80% of communications are nonverbal. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like that's what you're describing right here is you're looking for those nonverbal communications that you just described that's going to give you a real good read on the situation. Absolutely. And that's what it is. Anytime I have an argument with people, I tell people, hey, 80% of the argument, 80% of a communication is nonverbal. So a lot of times it's not how you say it. It's, it's not what you say. It's how you said it. Or a lot of the times it's not what you said. It's what you did. And, and, and if you can, the sooner you can pick up on those things, the faster you'll be able to learn how to deescalate. And I'm also, what's cool is I'm on our crisis negotiation team. And so I take a lot of these same principles and I'm able to apply it anytime we're in a hostile environment where you're dealing with a hostage situation or somebody that wants to take their life. We have to learn what we call the behavioral staircase. We have to learn where a person is at on that behavioral staircase in order to talk them down. The other thing you talked about when you spoke to Open Sesame is that you as a police officer, you see some really gruesome things. And sometimes it's not easy to move on from those things. And it's got to have an impact on you and your life and your job. And how do you compartmentalize those so you can come back the next day and do your job? Absolutely. That's a good, great, great question. So everybody's entitled to their own beliefs. I personally believe in God. So that's kind of what helps me the spiritual side. But everybody has to figure out what that is for them on an individual basis. Spiritually, it helps me because 
I've realized and I've come to know that everything happens for a reason. And there's just certain things that I'm unable to control. And because I know I can't control everything, that actually helps me compartmentalize. Now, it doesn't necessarily make the situation easier. It doesn't make the, you know, the, the grief after a little bit easier. But what it makes me what it does make easier is the fact that I don't have to, you know, run and replay all these scenarios through my head over and over again. And what if it because a lot of times that happens is officers will what if, what if, what if. And we got to stay away from doing that. So, you know, spiritually, spiritually, my spirituality has actually helped me in so many different ways. And I, and I encourage every officer or anybody that's in any profession that may be traumatic like the one I'm in to go out there and figure out what it is for them. Because sadly, what happens is people will resort to, resort to alcohol and drugs and then now they'll go down a slippery slope that they can't come back from. More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Open Sesame helps companies develop the world's most productive and admired workforces. How? By having the most comprehensive catalog of e-learning courses from the world's top publishers, publishers like TED and Harvard. And having courses that cover learning topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership development, safety and compliance, and wellness. Try a course for free today by visiting opensesame.com backslash course of the week. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. Give me a success story of someone who you've either de-escalated or even uh, some police that you work with who you've helped modernize and maybe change their view on how things should be done going forward. So I would say that some of the success stories that come, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind is that um, yeah, at my department, they're always doing recruiting and hiring and stuff like that. So I talk to, you know, the people that are in charge of that. And one of the things that they tell me is that Ryan, my, my boss told me a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, if I got a dollar for every time somebody came in and said that the only reason they came to apply at the police department that I work at is because they follow me and everything that I'm doing. And they want to be doing what I'm doing. Uh, he said, I wouldn't be a millionaire, but I'd be close to it. And wow. for me, that's, very cool because that tells me that my message is spreading in that you're getting an office, you're getting these, this next generation of officers of people that have that same mindset of wanting to change uh, the face of modern day policing by doing good in their community. So that's a huge, you know, it's humbling to hear that. And I guess the second thing I would say is that there have been many times in the field where I've had to talk to people, but there have been t- some of the best times have been where I, I talk to a person in the midst of their trauma, in the midst of their chaos. And uh, I'm able to help them out. And there's actually, I remember a time uh, we had a kid, a two-year-old kid that drowned and he didn't, he didn't live and it was sad. And I remember I uh, met up with the family. I prayed with them and stuff like that. And they came back a year later and they just told me like, hey, you know what? Our, our, our son didn't make it. But what's cool is, is that his heart, all of his organs were able to be donated uh, and preserved. And uh, this one little girl got his heart. And uh, that little girl was on a list that they didn't think that she was going to get a heart off the list. And just the way everything worked out, uh, she got a heart and she's living and thriving and doing well. And so that family came back a year later after, on the anniversary of his death and said that I was one of the people that impacted them the most um, through my the way I helped him out and, and helped him handle with that grief. So I have stories after stories, but that's some of the ways I've been able to deal and process with the process of grief that I've experienced. So, I mean, it goes without saying to be able to do your job, you've got to be able to see the silver lining because if you can't, it's a tough job. Yes. Yes, you have to. And if you can't, you're going to go backwards. And, you know, when you see officers that lose their mind or go off or yell at somebody or cuss somebody out, you know, there's always something that's underneath that. Yeah, it doesn't excuse their actions at all. 
But what we have to do is we have to be willing to step back and say, why is this officer reacting the way he is? And sometimes you got to realize some people will go on, like imagine going on a drowning baby call and then you have to turn around, you know, two hours later and now go to a domestic violence call and handle that. And then three hours from there, you have to go to a barking dog call. We go to so many different calls and sometimes you don't get enough time to actually process what you just experienced. And so not to say, like I said, it's not justifying the actions of police officers, but it's also, you know, the same level of empathy that I tell officers to have with the community uh, is my goal to have the, the, the community have some of the same empathy for the officers. So mental health is something we discuss on this podcast a lot. What's being done to help people like you who, you know, you just described three potential scenarios of, of the course of your day that are traumatic and, you know, police officers are going through traumatic things every day. What's being done to help the mental health of the police? So uh, what, what's being done, I can tell you what my department has done. They've done a phenomenal job. But um, if you go on a traumatic call, what we what they used to do is nothing. You know, you would experience a traumatic call and then you would just go to the next one. But now if you go through something traumatic like that, the, the chief of police or your boss is calling you into the station and they're, they're forcing you to sit down with the counselor. Now, if you say something to that counselor, you don't. They're at least forcing you to sit down uh, and to talk to somebody. The other thing that we do is we like to call it the debrief. And so anytime we've gone through something traumatic, we all, everybody that was involved in that incident, we will sit down and we will recant what we saw from our uh, perspective because everybody's perspective is different. And there's something that um, psychologically happens when you actually re replay what you saw, what you heard. It comes, sometimes it reaffirms what you thought, or sometimes it clears the missing pieces of what you thought happened. And so uh, a lot of our, uh, these departments are doing that. The other thing is, is officers or, or I would say the, the, the commanders of these police stations, they're actually focusing on employee wellness and making sure that they're okay. So beyond just the the, the counseling, but what what can we do to make this more of a pleasurable place to be here every day? Uh, what's some of the things that we can do to help you and your family out, bringing your family into what you do and, and teaching them? So uh, a lot more emphasis has been put on employee wellness, not just in my department, but but countrywide. And I think that we over the course of time, as we continue to get better in that area, I think we'll start to see the suicide rate go down. All right. What lies ahead for Breaking Barriers United? Because, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this would go, when does he have time to do Breaking Barriers United? <laughs> he, he's a full-time police officer. You got a family. Like, when are you finding time for doing like what you did in Arizona recently when I heard you get on stage and, and speak? <laughs> That's like the number one question I get. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, the future for Breaking Barriers is we're going to continue to blow this thing up. Uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity with Open Sesame because it's allowing me to get my message uh, uh, established globally now. And so, you know, I'm in the process. I'm in a, in a crazy transition period right now in my life, which not a lot of people are aware of. Uh, but the goal is, is that I'm going to start focusing more on the, the business and the mission that I'm doing. I'll still be doing police work, just probably not in the, the full capacity like I am right now, because I've, I've realized I've come to a fork in the road and I have to pick, OK, which one are you going to focus on more? And so my decision is pretty clear at this moment in time. Now it's just a matter of walking that faith and making sure it happens. So where can people find out more about what you're doing? Is it BreakingBarriersUnited.com? Yeah, so BreakingBarriersUnited.com, and then on Instagram, it's uh, BreakingBarriersUnited. On uh, YouTube, BreakingBarriersUnited. On uh, on on uh, TikTok, it's actually Officer Tillman. And then uh, lastly, on the Patreon, if you guys want to subscribe to me on there, which is not up yet, but the Patreon will be up pretty soon, it's going to be under Breaking Barriers United. So pretty much Breaking Barriers United anywhere you go. And then did oh, I... lastly, we do have a podcast. Yeah, too. I was going to ask and you about that. 
Yes, yeah, our podcast, and that's been uh, downloaded in over 70 countries. I think we have about a million downloads, and that's called It's Needed, hashtag It's Needed. And so please take a look at their podcast. You can also find episodes of our podcast on my Breaking Barry Schneider YouTube page. That's great. Well, let me tell you what, you are doing some important work, and you know I'm one who does believe that everything needs to be updated and modernized. You can't just do things the same way and you know say, oh, we did this the same way, you know, 20 years ago, and, and that's still going to work. Things are different now. And, you know, you really have your pulse on the modern way to police and to deescalate. And I love the fact that you are literally breaking barriers with this relationship with Open Sesame, where you're able to reach a worldwide audience versus, you know, I'm just in Chino or I'm just in Southern California doing this. You can talk to anyone in the world now. Absolutely. And it's so exciting. I mean, I've been talking to uh, some of the owners over at Open Sesame and the, and the supervisors, and I'm just so excited to see where this goes. So I'm, I'm excited to get in my studio all the time and create content and just new classes and courses. It's endless. And the topics in law enforcement is literally endless. So I can keep going forever. Ryan Tillman, the founder of Breaking Barriers United. Thanks so much for joining me on the Learning Unlock podcast. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for listening to Learning Unlocked. Presented by Open Sesame. Download this and every episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learning Unlocked is produced by Griggs Productions.